all kinds of stuff. <clears throat> How you guys doing today, Stonebridge? Good, good. It's good to be here. It's good to be here. Um, if you guys don't know me, my name is Jericho. Josh just introduced me. Uh, I am one of the pastors over at Cornerstone Church. I have been here a time or two before. I was actually just recently here uh, two weeks ago, if you guys were here. Uh, it was good to be here then, and it's good to be here now. Uh, last time, you guys welcomed me, and uh, you ushered me in through a blizzard. <laughs> and so I, I appreciate the nice weather this time when you guys invited me to come over here and teach to y'all. Uh, but yeah, I am, I'm really excited, man. It's good to see some friendly faces in the crowd. Uh, I am a father. I'm a husband. My wife is here with me today, and she brought our four uh, beautiful kids. And you guys know my story all about that. Right? I share that every single time I come. So after service, if you see us all, man, don't hesitate. Say what's up. Pat them on the head. Do whatever you want to do. I, I'm sure it feels like you know them at least a little bit, right, by as much as I talk about them. Um, but, yeah, so we're going to dive right in. We are in a uh, series in Romans, uh, Romans 8. And so where we're going to be at now is going to be in Romans 18 through 25. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and open those up. That's where we're going to be. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the word here, and then I'm going to pray really quick before we dive in. I want to dive in here pretty quickly. Romans 8, starting in verse 18, this is what it says here. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful for this morning and grateful to be able to come before you. Uh, we are thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, and the work that he did for uh, us on the cross, and we are thankful for the helper that he left for us in the spirit. And here we are once again in Romans 8, the text of the spirit. Lord, what a gift, what a pleasure uh, to be able to be here and read this and, and, and teach this text. Lord, I am humbled to have the opportunity. Lord, I pray our ears are opened, our hearts are open, and we are ready to receive said text. Lord, allow me to get out the way uh, and let your word do the teaching. These things I pray in your son Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. All right. So some of you guys uh, know me and a little bit of my story. Uh, but those of you guys who don't, uh, I'm obviously a tall person. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big man, right? And those of you who don't, uh, when you see big people like me, you always have one question in the back of your mind. Does he play basketball? <laughs> right? Did he, did he play basketball? And so to, to ease your conscience, yes, I actually did play basketball, okay? I am a uh, former Hawkeye, uh, four-year starter at the University of Iowa. Go Hawks, go Hawks, unashamed, unashamed about it, you know? 
so I actually didn't have a lot of good years at the University of Iowa. I was there for probably the roughest four-year uh, stretch anybody's ever had at the University of Iowa. Uh, but I also got a chance to play professional basketball. 2007 to 2011, I was in Iowa City. In 2011 to 2017, I bounced around from Iceland to France and got to play in a bunch of different European countries out there. One thing about basketball, some of y'all might be basketball fans, is that everybody's waiting for one particular part of the season, which is the postseason, right? You even look at the NBA. You got guys like LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, right, and these new guys coming up. And, and, and what people do is, is you typically have your team, but you watch and you watch, you know, kind of. You, you may watch a game here or there. But what you're really waiting on is just to make sure your team has a good enough record to get to that postseason. The postseason is where it goes down, right? When I was playing basketball overseas, I was fortunate enough to get to that postseason uh, four out of the six years that I played. And the postseason was amazing, right? You got the regular season, but then you got the postseason and you're here and it seems like everything just, just heightens it. it it's, it's, it's more glorified. It's more beautiful. And your play, it even goes to a completely different level. Out of those four years, we were able to get to the semifinals two out of those four years. I had a phenomenal time playing overseas uh, basketball. I was the leading scorer, leading rebounder, runner up for MVPs, multiple years, all this different kind of stuff. But the postseason was what we looked forward to the most. But those of y'all who know sports, there's also a season that comes before the postseason and even comes before the regular season. And what's that season called? The preseason. It's the preseason. Now, in the NBA, preseason is a little, it's, it's kind of a cake in the walk. You go in, you do some conditioning, you lift some weights, and you get a lot of shots up. But overseas, <laughs> postseason is a grind, or preseason is a grind. Preseason, so you have, you have 10 months of the year where you're over here playing ball. The first several months are preseason. The season doesn't even start until November, but the coaches and the players want you to get there in late July, early August at the latest. And in preseason, what you're doing is you're running. <laughs> you're lifting weights and you're running some more. The, 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 the ongoing joke for basketball players when it comes to the preseason is, yo, are, are we track athletes? Are we, are, we, are we preparing for a track season? Because you're doing the 100s, you're doing the 200s, you're doing the miles, right? You're going on the, on, the, on the long distance runs to get in shape for the season. And so what would happen is that the Americans would typically try to not go over for the preseason when you went overseas to go play basketball. You're going to France. Hey, wait till November for the season to start. Get your agent. Put in the contract. Say, I'll be there in November. I'll see you all then. But the coaches never allow that to happen. And if you were to get that going, you were the man, right? <laughs> you were the man. But for everybody else, for normal people like me, you had to get there in the preseason. But the preseason was a time where your work felt like it was futile 
There was no measurement of success. Nothing really counted for anything. You were playing preseason games, and you could score 100 points. You could have a bomb game, have 45 points, 12 rebounds, 8 assists, and it doesn't matter. (laughs) There's no measurement of success. You were running miles and lifting weights, and you were in the mountains doing who knows what. You never wanted to be there in preseason unless you had your eyes set on the postseason. What kept you going through the preseason was this concept of passion. And one of my mentors, he defines passion like this. Passion is the willingness to withstand the pain for something that is greater than the pain. This is what passion is. What kept you going through the preseason was looking forward to the postseason. You endure the preseason with passion. And likewise, as Christians, we are called to do the same within our Christian faith, aren't we? To endure through the pain for something that's greater than the pain. This is what it means to be called to suffering as we follow Christ. And if we're honest, some of us really don't have a category for uh, 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 suffering being the normal state of life. But even if we look at the very first book of our Bible in Genesis, Genesis 3, we know this to be true. It doesn't take us long to come to this reality. If you look in the scriptures, you have the creation narrative. You have the end of the creation narrative. And you have God bringing uh, Adam and Eve together in this holy matrimony. And then just one chapter later, you have everything going south almost immediately. Relationships are cursed. Our work is cursed. Our childbearing is cursed. And even the land, nature itself, all of the cosmos, it is cursed. The Old Testament even has a particular book that's dedicated, literally dedicated to this very thing, to the futility of life. The whole book of Ecclesiastes, which is actually written by the richest and wealthiest (laughs) and most prominent man to ever live, by the way. He says that even in his successes, in his prosperity and accumulation, they're suffering because it's life itself that's futile. Vanity, he says. It's all vanity. But not only Solomon, who was the writer of Ecclesiastes, not only, it's not only him that says this, but the people of Israel also experienced this suffering. Our fathers in the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob experienced this suffering. Job, Habakkuk, and the other prophets, they all experienced this type of suffering. However, the thing that we know that they didn't know was that they were only experiencing a foretaste of what their creator would do and would do for them. You see, the reality is that we suffer because Jesus suffers. We endure with passion because Jesus underwent the passion on Calvary. It was him who left his throne. It was him who put on human flesh. It was him who subjected himself to all the human ailments, temptation, sin, uh, disappointment, disillusionment, pain, and even death. But hear me, not so that we didn't have to. I don't think that's what Jesus would say. I don't think that's what Paul says in this text. 
Uh, this year, the last few years, I've been doing a Bible reading plan, and every January 1st, I jump in and I try to read the whole Bible in a, in a year. Uh, this year was a little unique. My Bible plan took me to John 1 <laughs> for the first book to get through. And I'm reading through John 1, and I get to John 11. And you guys know John 11. It's the story of Lazarus. And I talked a little bit about the Lazarus story last time I was here, but it's a story that, that, that's really been sticking with me lately. And I think God keeps taking me to it for a reason, and he keeps showing me new things. But y'all know the story of Lazarus. John had, uh, Jesus had just left Judea. He had been leaving persecution, and he was fleeing with the disciples, and he was going to the wilderness to get away. Mary and Martha, who were Lazarus's sisters, they end up sending him a letter that says, yo, the one that you love has fallen ill. And what was Jesus's response when he found out that Lazarus was sick? You don't have to turn here, but John 11 verse 4 says this. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death, but it is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. That's his response to Mary and Martha's suffering. That is his response to our suffering. Our suffering never, never ends in death. If you have a hope in Jesus Christ, if you call him a friend, if he has captured your emotion, if he has captured your person, Your suffering, although you will suffer, never ends in death. And a little bit later on in John 11, he was trying to explain to the disciples what kind of death Lazarus fell into, right? Because the disciples were thinking, uh, 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 yo, he may have just fallen asleep. Jesus had said he fell asleep. And so the disciples took it literally. He had fallen asleep. He's taking a nap. He'll wake up soon. And so they tell Jesus, we don't got to go back right now. By the way, we were just trying to get killed in Judea. So that's why we came here. Remember, Jesus? <laughs> Remember that? And Jesus is like, no, we got to go back. Lazarus has fallen asleep. Okay, well, he'll wake up, Jesus. No, 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 no. You don't get it. Lazarus is dead. And he says in verse 15, and for your sake, <laughs> listen to this, I am glad that I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. And so we've got to ask the question, Jesus, yo, believe in what? The same thing that Paul says here in Romans 8, 18, I believe. Look down here with me. Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is the response. The suffering on earth will seem like a small price to pay. Yes, even death. And not only death, but the things that death brings about, right? Death doesn't just affect one person who's no longer with us, but it has ripple effects for the people who are still here, doesn't it? We know that, y'all. We know that. But the suffering on this earth will seem like a small price to pay for the glory in heaven that is about to be revealed to us. And in some translations, even say and in us. This is good news for the Christian, y'all. Listen, death is conquered and the glory of God is inevitable. 
Death is conquered and the glory of God is inevitable. And so we have basis on which to believe. I love the story of Lazarus. I love the story of Lazarus. I love it because it shows you all these characters. It shows you Mary and Martha. It shows you uh, all the people that's around. It shows you Jesus coming back and the disciples. You can just imagine all this kind of stuff. I don't know about y'all, but mine goes, my mind goes crazy with like extracurriculars when I'm reading the scripture. Right? I just want to like, like these people are seeing this. There's, this, this is stuff happening in the open. I, I love it. Y'all, I was an English major, and so I have a, a huge imagination. Anyway. <clears throat> um. I love what we get to see about Mary and Martha's personality in here. But here it is. The story of Lazarus isn't really about Mary and Martha or their faith, is it? It really isn't even about Lazarus or even about him dying or even about him being raised from the dead. And like I said, yo, my man was, was, was dead. He was what I believe the youth are now calling dead, dead, right? You got you to gotta emphasize that my man was dead, dead. Jesus was so dead, and this is not a joke, y'all. Jesus was so dead that when he made the move to go to the tomb and he told him, yo, remove the stone, remove the stone, Martha chimed up and she goes, Jesus, like, you're not really going to do this. All right, this is the Jericho translation. You're not really going to do this, are you? Like, yo, he's been dead for four days. Number one, you know we ain't supposed to be touching no dead bodies, right? This is Jewish custom. And number two, it's stinking there. <laughs> four days, Jesus. And Jesus simply reminded her. What does he say? Martha is grieving. Her brother just died. She's suffering in some sense. Jesus simply nudges her and says, believe. <laughs> believe in what? Your, 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 your brother raised from the dead? Yeah, but not only that. Believe, and here's the point of the story, and you will see the glory of God. Believe, and you will see the glory of God. And this is the same message to us Christians when we are entering into suffering. Believe when it is hard. Believe when it seems impossible. Believe while you're suffering, and you will see the glory of God. Jesus allows suffering. He doesn't create suffering. He enters into our suffering and he even calls us to suffer so that the glory of God may be revealed. This is the work that he is in. But you see, there is a suffering requirement. I want to piggyback off of what your pastor Matt ended with last week in Romans 8 verses 16 through 17. Believers must suffer with Christ if we are to share in his glory. Mama. Romans 8, 16, 7 tells us this, that the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. Yes, that we are children of God. And if children, then yes, we are heirs with Christ. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. But you get the hitch. (laughs) Provided that we what? Suffer with him in order that we may also be what? Glorified with him. Mm. So if this is true, if there is innately a suffering requirement to life, then what are we to be doing here now? 
Here's the answer. We are to be longing for the glory of God. Anybody in here longing for that glory, for that future glory? We are to be longing for the glory of God. But if you're like me, and can I step into my humanity real quick, my human skin? If you're like me, and I know 90% of us in here are like me in this way anyway, you don't want to suffer. You want to spend your days like me avoiding discomfort and pain. You don't want to spend your days actually pursuing discomfort and pain. I know this to be true. It's true of me. But here's the reality, y'all, that it is that discomfort, it is that discomfort is at the heart of following Jesus. It is biblical. Not only is it biblical, but it is the agent that triggers our longing for glory. And it is the requirement through which we enter into glory. Yeah, we, the sad reality is that we are all in the preseason. <laughs> if I can tie these together, we don't get to escape the preseason. Okay, we can wrap it up. We can all go home now. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to leave y'all. I'm not going to leave y'all right there. But for the rest of my time, I have about 15 minutes-ish. I want to do two things. I want to give us some encouragement, and I want to give us some assurance. The encouragement is this. We don't suffer alone. And the assurance is this. We have a hope. How do we tap into that hope? Number one, we don't suffer alone. Look at verse 19 with me in Romans 8. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Y'all, it's not just us who suffer. All of creation is suffering. Even nature, right? We see it right here. We see it in verse 20. Look at this. Creation was and is subject to this futility. They're subject to frustration and futility. And creation will be set free from the bondage to corruption in verse 21. I briefly went over the Genesis 3 narrative, the account, right? When, when, when Adam and Eve ate, from the, uh, ate the forbidden fruit from the forbidden tree. There was a series of curses that ensued, right? There was a series of curses that ensued. What Adam and Eve did was actually unleash death and the curse of decay over all of creation. And just as nature was subject to bondage, Paul is telling us, through man's bondage, so in man's freedom will nature be made free. This is the importance of us as believers in Christ. To relieve the suffering, to relieve the suffering of ourselves, to relieve the suffering of creation, the glory of God, the fullness of the glory of God has to be revealed. And we are the agents. Creation is banking on that. It's banking on us. When we are set free, the whole creation will be set free. Amen. 
God so loved man that the redemption of creation is contingent on the completion of man's salvation. Look at verse 22. You see, it is this reason why all of the cosmos groans. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. I know some of us know that in here. We know that pretty regularly. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, Christians, who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I want you to underline first fruits there for me. The first fruits. This is the hope that we have, y'all. For those of us who claim Christ, we know from previous verses in Romans 8 that, yo, we have the Holy Spirit. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are set free, you are set free and you have the Spirit of God. But Paul reiterates this and says that this Spirit is the first fruits of more that is to come. Do we know what the first fruits are? I like to think about it like this. How many of you guys know what layaway is? I remember back in the day, Christmas time would come up. I'm from Kansas City. Kansas City represent the real Kansas City, Missouri, right? Where the plaza, the chiefs, the royals, all that is. That's where I, that's where I come from. And, uh, so my parents for Christmas time, what we would typically do for Christmas was get gifts. We'd go to Walmart, right? I don't even know if they do this anymore. You go to Walmart, you get your gift. You can't buy it thin. You don't have the funds. You don't have the means at the moment. But what they will do is let you take it to this counter. You take it to this counter. There's somebody there waiting for you. You give them this said gift. It could be electronics, could be clothes, whatever it is. And you say, hey, I'll make a down, I'll, I'll, I'll put a down payment on this. Will you hold it for me? I'll put a down payment on this. And this is what it's like when we become Christians. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is given to us as a down payment. It is the first fruits of the future glory. It's a down payment. One commentary says it this way. We're to understand that the gift of the spirit to the believer at the inception of the Christian life is God's pledge of completion. It's his pledge of completion or the down payment of the process of salvation. But then we know here in this text that Paul says that until that time, until the completion of salvation, we groan inwardly and we wait eagerly <laughs> to be adopted as sons and daughters, to be fully redeemed and transformed into our glorious resurrected bodies. I can't wait for that day. And it is this reason that we remain in hope verses 24 to 25 say this for in this hope, we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So here's the question today, Stonebridge. Are you waiting? Are you groaning? It's, it's, it's an awkward way to, to phrase the question, but are you groaning? It's here in the text. 
Are you waiting eagerly for the fullness of the Spirit? We talked a little bit about basketball. You see, basketball was uh, something that God had given me, a gift for, a, 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 a talent for. And over time, this thing was nursed, and I nursed this thing to a T, right? And, and, and honestly, over time, it became more than a game to me. A lot of us have a sense of basketball in our lives, don't we? You see, basketball became so much more than a game, and in some sense, it became an idol to me. And when I talk about it this way, a lot of people tend to look at me sideways thinking like that because they see it as entertainment. Basketball was way more than entertainment to me. And for sure, it was more than a game. It was a livelihood. It's what gave me a sense of being. It's what gave me a sense of self. It's my testimony. Basketball is no longer a part of my life the way it was a part of my life. And God did that. And I can stand here today right now and testify to y'all that retirement in May 20th of 2017, I got that bookmarked on my calendar. You better believe it. The Lord did the greatest thing to me that he would ever do to date. Release me so that I could truly, not that I didn't believe in Jesus, but so that I could truly long and wait eagerly for the future glory of Jesus Christ. Some of us got basketballs in our lives. Some of us have those. He was asking me this question. Are you groaning? Are you waiting eagerly for the future glory of God to be revealed? And I'm honest, I wasn't waiting for that future glory of God. I was waiting for the future glory of the next game. <laughs> I was waiting for the future glory of the next contract, the next win, the next 30-point game. And some of us have our own elements of that in our lives. Can God have that? That is my question. Can God have that? One of the main reasons why we, we aren't waiting for the future glory of God is because we are already preoccupied. We are already living. We're already serving. We're already sacrificing for something else. Can we identify that today? The hope is that the thing is this. The thing that we see in front of our face, we tend to place our hope in. But Paul is saying that, yo, right, the hope that is seen <laughs> is actually no hope at all. Release it for the true hope, right? If we hope for what we do not see, then we will begin to wait for it. The spirit will do a work and we will begin to wait for this hope with patience. And in the Greek, this, this, this patience has a endurance factor to it. This patience has a eagerness factor to it. It has a longing factor to it. Passion, passion, the willingness to endure the pain for something that is greater than the pain. And the question is, is this going on in your Jesus wants it for you. And as I conclude, I want to ask the worship team to come up. Um, I'm going to pray in just a minute. 
But here's what I want us to do, y'all. I really want us to think about this. Are you waiting eagerly? Are you intentionally living the Christian life with passion? Are you enduring the pain for something that is greater than the pain? And if not, can you identify what it is, what is in the way? Where you are right now, can you guys do me a favor? I want you guys to close your eyes. Bow your heads. And I want you to think on this. Am I waiting eagerly? Am I waiting eagerly? I want you to to, to intentionally use this time to ask the Lord to come in and move whatever he needs to move. Say, Jesus, make a move in me so that I can truly long and desire the things of you, so that I can truly long and desire what is in the future, the future glory, Lord. Thank you for the first fruits. But Lord, correct my steps, order my steps. Move in my heart, Lord, and move the things that I hold so dearly to the side so that you may be the deepest and the truest longing of my heart. Father, we come to you with bowed heads and closed eyes, Lord, and we come in a surrendered posture. On our knees, hands up, and we say, Lord, do the work that only you can do. You've done it. We see it. We have the first fruits, Lord. We've we've done it. We felt it. We've experienced it. Do it again. Do it again. Create that longing in us, Lord, that that, that we want to be next to you. This is the, the, the point of the scriptures for us to know that you know, the, the greatest thing in life isn't the things that we see. The greatest thing in life isn't the hope that we have and the things that we can see tangibly and grasp onto and work towards and, 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 and put our hands to. The things that we can receive a profit or benefit from. Nah, but Lord, let us know. Teach us the true reality. That the greatest thing in life that we can do is actually long to be closer to you. Make this true of us today, Lord. Make this true. Work it in our hearts to where we can say with John at the end of Revelations, Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly, Lord. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.